Welcome to this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour and we are going somewhere in the distant uh, Pacific, I think, to an island uh, where Kong uh, reigns. Yes, it's Kong Skull Island and joined on my sort of castaway adventure is Matt Wallen. How are you? I am excellent. And Mr. Jason Diamond. Uh, even better. <laughs> I guess I, I'm tempted to do like Castaway Island discs, right? Like what five tracks would you take if you were stranded on Skull Island? But maybe I'll leave that to the end as a bit of a rat Ooh. hole. But um, how are we uh, about the film? Do we enjoy seeing Kong once again? It's not as if we haven't seen him before since 1933 and, uh, and the great work that was done uh, back in the day. We've seen him quite a few times. But, uh, you know, in this latest thing, what do we think? Do we feel like... Um, I don't know, that uh, we prefer the Willis O'Brien stop frame version or the ILM beast of, uh, of glory that we see, Matt, in this film today? I mean, you know, for, for my uh, money, I, I was really, really skeptical about this when I heard they were making this movie. I just thought, oh, God, please. Now, I had worked on the, uh, the Peter Jackson King Kong, and uh, that was the one show that uh, almost killed me, I think, that made me want to leave the business for a while just because it's so brutal at the end. But, but, um, uh, so I had worked on that film and I thought, oh, they're going to make another Kong movie. And I, I just assumed it was going to be something in the same universe along the same lines. And, um, uh, I just thought it sounded kind of goofy, but then as it drew closer and closer to completion, started seeing some trailers and getting some sort of early word of mouth about it. Um, I, we saw a trailer for it in the theater and like my, uh, my wife, uh, and then like, like some of my friends, like wives, like who, you know, are not usually typical monster movie, uh, people, they were all excited to go see it. Cause they said that just looks so ridiculous. And, uh, so we, a bunch of us went and saw it on the uh, opening weekend. And I mean, we just had a great time. It was so absurd and over the top, you know, like it had a real tongue in cheek aspect to it. And it, it felt a lot like one of those monster movies from, you know, from the seventies, like movies that I grew up watching on TV as a kid. And um, I thought the, the, the story was totally absurd, but it was really, really fun and uh, totally loved it. I thought it was great. Oh, excellent! What were you doing on the original Kong? I mean, not on the original Kong, on the on Peter Jackson Kong. What was your your um, role? I was on the compositing team, mm -hmm. and worked on uh, a bunch of the sequences with the big bugs and a bunch of Kong uh, when he uh, escapes in uh, Times Square. Oh wow! Okay, so really iconic stuff. And and Jason, what did you think? Um, I had I had a ton of fun. I loved it. I went with my uh, my kid and my father in law, and we um, we had a great time. I think my brother summed it up best. He saw it a few days before me, and he said it felt like the cast knew they were making the big kind of fun uh, Saturday morning monster movie, like Matt was talking about, and the director wanted to make Apocalypse Now, and then they kind of met in the middle somewhere. Um, yes which I am totally on board with. I think my only two comments are, I think I might be over Sam Jackson, period. <laughs> uh, mm. And especially as a bad guy. I think he was a little, you already had the camp. He like went camp over in a weird, he was like, he wasn't campy, but his character was the over the top version of that character that I don't think you needed quite in that way because you already had 
super crazy comic relief with John C. Riley, which was perfect. I don't know. It, it was, he was the only thing that felt a little off to me. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it's more the writing than his performance. Cause he's just working with what he's given. But, um, the other thing that I really love about it is that they're, everyone's focused on world building now with their properties and how they dovetailed into the project monarch, um, stuff from Godzilla and then mm-hmm. brought it into this. And I love the con the conceit that, uh, that the, the, uh, nuclear weapons tests in the, f- you know, forties, fifties and sixties were all not nuclear weapons tests, but they were trying to kill the giant <laughs> monsters. That's, I love yeah, totally. reframing <laughs> real stuff like that. Um, and, and that they didn't go then take him off the island and go to a city like again for the fourth time. Mm -hmm. So I like that. It kind of stayed on the island. It's setting up clearly with, we won't go into it now, but with the post credits uh, doodad, it's clearly setting up a much larger world that they're going to build and build and build on, which I'm totally down with. Uh, So I, I enjoyed it and Kong looked awesome. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Like, uh, I guess for me, there are several aspects about the film. I thought it was really well done. I thought the visual effects were just stunningly great. I agree with yeah. you totally. It was terrific that they didn't go off the island to a city and do that again. I think if we'd done that again, it would have been really bad. And, you know, we did it not only in the Kong film that, that Matt, you worked on, but also, you know, Jurassic Park took mm-hmm. the dinosaurs to San Diego, I think it was, and stuff. And it would just, you know, it would have felt like, here we go again. Um I think it was great setting it in the 70s. Like, I think that was really superb. The only thing I'd say is that I hold Apocalypse Now in such reverence and uh, the work of that film, and it's just such a serious piece of cinema, sort of full stop, you know, uh, from that opening kind of Saigon shit. I'm still in Saigon. I mean, I just (laughs) love that. I love it so much. I bought the record, the LP soundtrack. So I can play the soundtrack on an LP. I don't need the music from it, you understand, guys. I mean, the actual soundtrack is on two LPs. Yeah. So I can play it. So, uh, And it's got a bunch of dialogue on it too, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like the the 70s thing, which was absolutely just marvellous. I mean, I lived in the 70s, right? I'm that old and it wasn't that cool. I mean, this film makes it look (laughs) a lot cooler than I think the 70s actually were. The only thing I felt, didn't you feel like the 70s thing kind of petered out a bit though? Like I felt, I felt like the second half of the film didn't have the same Apocalypse Now vibe where it could yeah. have because they're on a boat going up the river. Yeah, and so yeah. I was expecting it to go back into Apocalypse Now mode and have well, they definitely come had out some... off the water covered in mud at night. You know, <laughs> that would be good. Uh, although they did do when Sam Jackson was sitting in his office, he did the lean over head rub, bald head rub, uh, from from uh, Kurtz. For sure. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a direct rip. And they did do a couple boat in the river shots that were very reminiscent. Uh, if only someone had said, you're goddamn right, never get out of the boat. You know? Yeah. yeah. You, need, you, needed, you needed a couple. I mean, obviously it doesn't need to be that referential, but I would have done that as a director. I've been like, somebody please, can we put that somewhere? Like, let's just throw it in. I mean, but, the, opening, the, the opening of the film, that bit getting off and you know the whole kind of numb vibe and the um and the uh ride of the valkyries like that was just so cool the cinematography was cool mm-hmm. the style oh, yeah. was cool the clothes and black sabbath i'll was... take black sabbath over wagner you know <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so I liked all of that. Um, and I also also really liked the visual effects and the creature work in particular, but I just felt like the 70s-ness of it um, could have, you know, they could have kept that going stronger at the end and uh, I think it would have been, you know, even better. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's a fun film, right? Like it has yeah. some major plot problems of biblical proportions. Um <laughs> But I kind of feel like a movie, a movie like this, though, it's like it almost seems like it's less concerned with those kinds of, you know, the the, the plot issues or uh, even some of the petering out of the, the 70s thing. Although I agree, I think that would have been nice to keep that going. But it's really more concerned with, you know, being it, it's like an old kind of drive in movie kind of movie, you know, yeah. but with a big budget and with I think uh, I would concur, I think with really almost uh, uh, really uh, overall, um, spectacular visual effects. Yeah, for sure. We'll get on to the visual effects in a second, but um, I think it was a wise move to keep Kong's story uh, a bit different than what we're used to because it was just capturing Kong and offering up the uh, woman photographer as a sacrifice on top of the wall that was meant to keep out Kong. It would have all been like, we've seen this so many times before, why do we need another one? So I think that was a good move. Um, and quite frankly, I think that the actors that were in it, um, you just genuinely like seeing them on screen. Like Tom Hiddleston just is a, you know, he's just like was a happy to see on screen presence. Well, and John C. Riley just was spectacular. Yeah. I thought he was yeah, great which, as like the comic relief and his role and the lines that were written for him and whatever, if he did any ad lib or anything in his delivery, I just thought he was... He was just so great when he was on screen. He was so, yeah. so over the top and ridiculous, but it, it made it really, really fun. And it gave it a, a kind of a camp uh, feel that I feel like um, when he w when he came on screen, he sort of injected it with uh, even more of that kind of popcorn movie vibe. But even they there gave him some serious like... lines, though. They gave him the serious yeah. sort of twist in there with, with the Japanese pilot that he obviously became close with after the crash and... You know, uh, and the yeah, and, sort enemy of, mine. Yeah, exactly. The sort of C three PO falling from the sky. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, you're the you're a god. You know, kind of thing. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's enough I, I, serious lines in there to sort of balance his his wackiness. Although I wish they hadn't given up so many of his good lines in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, point. I cringed enormously when he was holding onto the samurai sword. I was. Oh like, yeah. That's not, you know, like you would cut so many tendons, it would never, your hands would never work. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was good. I, I, I honestly think it was like a fun film to see. And there was also yeah. no point in the film where I was like, can we just get back to the good bit now? Because we're having to deal with some exposition or some boring bit, or we've cut off the island to have somebody kind of refuse well, to remount the rescue or something. I would, I would say that actually the, the sort of like rigid zero, like it was like two complete different stories. And I know that you need competing stories somewhat to create tension, but you have, you have the, the Hiddleston, we'll call it the Hiddleston sort of scientific group that have their thing. And then you have the military who have their thing. And I know there's like, you don't leave a man behind, but it was so mm -hmm. rigid that they were willing to risk, you know, lives. And it becomes this whole thing. Like it, it, it that to me was a little, over the top, it was like a little hard, and maybe maybe having to go get that one guy who had died like you know fifteen yeah. minutes earlier which, in the movie, which you yeah. obviously see when he when his skull rolls out and the thing and right. the, you know the dog tags whatever. It, it just felt a little 
too clashing to me. Like there was, the guys wouldn't be that rigid. Like I know you have to exaggerate characters for movies sometimes, but there has to be, I know he's, and he's the ultimate soldier. He couldn't get wait to get, wait to get back to the shit after the war was over, you know, and he gets the one last mission, but you know, he already had most of his guys killed. Like the logic yeah. doesn't play through at a certain point. If we're going to be critical, yeah, I would agree. Of the plot, yeah, it seemed but, like that was the one clunky piece, the really yeah. standout clunky bit in the plot. I thought was that one sort of weird, like sort of bizarre, psychotic need to go back and get this one. Dude. And that's the yeah, Kurtz thing. That's like other... they're trying to run the Kurtz line where he's just yeah. like gone. And they say to him at some point in the middle, like with no real cause, he goes, "You've lost your mind," and it's like. Actually, he's just sort of being an army guy. Like he hasn't gone Kurtz. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you would say that line to John C. Riley's character at some point, yeah. and that would fit. But it felt like they just needed to get that plot point out. Like you know, oh, he's gone insane. He's off the reservation, and he's gonna you know do anything. And we're like, we kind of well, it's know probably that. more right. Like that that like if you if you were to use that apocalypse now metaphor, right? Like Kong is Kurtz. Like uh, John C. Riley is uh, Dennis Hopper, and uh, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson is like uh, Robert Duvall or something, you know. Yeah, I don't think that we really. Yeah, I don't think they developed those up enough. But then, by the same token, I don't think that's the biggest plot hole in the film, right? Like, and I don't. I think it was like you know what I kind of expected and what sort of work but I also say they went to a bit of trouble to explain a number of things that would otherwise be shockingly stupid right like the fact that it was like oh satellites have only just started discovering stuff makes it a kind of plausible that it's been hidden by a weather thing and now it's been unearthed and um, I mean dropping the bombs for the seismic thing that whole kind of plot thing yeah. is pretty thin but, yeah. um, but that being said it wasn't, you know, that kind of a film, right? It was kind of fun to watch and well done. So I'm cool with that. Hey, let's discuss the visual effects though, um, starting with Kong himself because it's obviously the, the base place to be. Um, my absolute favourite Kong of the entire film by a country mile for me is uh, him sitting down and eating the octopus. From a visual sex standpoint, I thought it was mm-hmm. just so spectacularly well executed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just really exquisite in every respect. Now, I'm not talking about it from a plot point of view. It's obviously nice to see that he eats something. But <laughs> the way that octopus wrapped around his face, the way that um, the skin, uh, the fur, the lighting, the water sims of him like pulling the darn thing out of the water. But mainly that sort of the uh, Kong sits down and has sushi for lunch shot just, oh, just killed me. I thought it was so well done. What do you guys think? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think his his overall, you know, the look of him, the rendering of him, the way that w- that they sort of scaled him up and they beefed him up for this movie uh, compared to the 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 two thousand five uh, King Kong, uh, I thought it was just amazing. Like, and the the facial work, like the level of detail, the the fur, the the scarred, bloodied, matted fur too when mm-hmm. he's wounded by the helicopters and yeah that scene with the octopus is just i mean it's jaw-droppingly beautiful i thought in the theater it's just like oh man that, that, like that's just really cool like they went for it in a big way and created a, a look and an aesthetic there that was just really really something to see it, it's so funny though you know i i i found myself like it, it almost is the, the kong wasn't the thing i was most impressed with in some weird way maybe because uh, although I thought he was incredible, but I, I almost feel like he wasn't the most impressive thing in a way. And I, 
he was so believable that I almost took him for granted in a way, yeah. which I think is, which I think is kind of, you know, that's like really weirdly high praise too, you know, like in a kind of backhanded way or sort of a, a sleight of hand kind of way. Like, I think they, they really achieved something where he really, it just seemed like, oh yeah, that's Kong. Like he's the big badass, you know, uh, gorilla and like, we're in some trouble here. And, but I never looked at him or saw shots of him and questioned, um, no, you know, his, his, uh, presence or the believability of the character. Like it, it just felt really, really solid. The octopus, I think it was just prior to the octopus when he walks into the sort of lake there, he comes, yep. you hear him and he walks into frame through the past the mountain. That to me was, was, so it's just prior to that. I think that to me was where I was just like, I had that same sort of like, oh man, where he just, he's just sort of trudging through the lake. And he yeah, the has, water. it doesn't like, feel slow-mo. Like it doesn't feel like they, yeah. like it's like, um, you know, uh, physics for physics. Like you would shoot a, a model, you know, a scale model or something. Like he mm -hmm. felt in there, he was sitting in there. The water was sloughing at his legs just right. And he was just, and it and was, he was really and the relaxed. Water was, that was my favorite thing was the water, him yeah. trudging through the water. I thought like the water simulations and the splashing and the scale they achieved with the water. Yeah. Like you're saying, like it didn't look like a guy in a suit or like a miniature or something. Like the scale of those water plumes and the aeration and spray of the water as his legs are trudging through the lake. I thought that stuff was just insanely good. Like the, it was so impressive. I thought that actually was my favorite effect in the whole movie. I yeah. think it was that water. Well, because he was so relaxed, you don't normally, normally when you see monsters in the movies like Godzilla, right? Like he's active in every shot, pretty much mm -hmm. doing something mm -hmm. other than his back coming through the water. He's doing something active and violent in the movie. And yeah. Kong was, he's literally just like, Oh, what's going on over here? I don't know. He's just kind of wandering aimlessly, you know, after he's been, you know, uh, you know, attacked by these things he's never seen and, and whatever, and won. And he's just sort of like, yeah, I'm going to go over here now, like wandering, sh sh you know, trudging through the lake that he, as he does. And it just felt so natural. Well, I, I think in, in particular too, if, if I could just for a second, I think in particular with the water splashes, like where he's contacting the lake and moving through it, even mm -hmm. when in some of the action scenes too, where like they really get into the water as well. And it's more dynamic. So many times, at least in my, uh, you know, career, like we, when doing splashes like that and trying to work out a sequence of splashes, like before you could do really great water sims, you know, you're doing all kinds of like you know, cutting and pasting and, you know, dialing in of, and retiming of, um, practical splash elements, you know, and like, you're trying right. to sort of make this thing look like it's going to be right. And it's going to work. And it felt like there was none of that in this, like, this was all like full on simulated water, like, and, and it, they have achieved something with, uh, the engine they're using to drive all that stuff that I think is, uh, at such a high level that, um, for something of that scale and the interplay that you're describing too, Jason, like with the animation, like it just felt so successful and so big. It, it really helped integrate and ground uh, the character in a kind of a, a sense of reality and, and a sense of scale that I think was really important for this, uh, for the character in this, in this particular property. Yeah. I mean, ILM's you, water game has been going up and up and up. I mean, their water work in Pacific Rim uh, Star Trek two, and the thing comes out of the water, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Avengers, mm -hmm. 
with the uh, with the helicarrier, you know, in the yeah. water, like just they are the water kings. They are the Poseidons of. So, you know. so just to jump in there, though, you, I think you you okay. So, so the water in this. Do you know Florent? Um, uh, I think it's Andorra that uh, is the visual effects, effects sleeper on ILM that handled the water for this. I don't know if you know him, Matt, but anyway. Florent did the water that you've been giving praise to, and I totally agree with you. But I, the reason I jump in, Jason, is that some of the shots you're just referring to actually aren't ILMs. Oh, great. Um, yeah, they're... they're uh, so ILM has a close working relationship with another effects house that does a lot of water stuff. So some of those films that you're referring to were some some of their other work that kind of in, dovetailed in with ILM stuff. But I, oh, in this beautiful. film, um, it was great stuff that, uh, that ILM did do. And I want to give you some background on that because I've had a chance to talk to a lot of the people involved. Mm. So Stephen Rosenblum was the visual effects supervisor on the film and uh, he actually started before there was a script. And uh, um, Stefan, uh, I think it's Decant, uh, was Stephen the production Deccan, designer. Yeah. Deccan, that's it, yeah. And uh, so he was the production designer and those guys worked together on um, Avatar. So Stefan took over doing environments and then um, this is in the early days and, and uh, Stephen was doing the creature stuff. And so when, and again, before, you know, the film has started really, um, Stephen gets ILM and uh, MPC and Framestore's art departments to do some pre-production kind of, I guess, explorations is probably the best way to describe it. And that, um, that shot with the octopus that I started with, that is actually based on, I don't know if you guys saw a film called... Um, uh, it's old boy. It's like from nine, like 2003 kind of thing. Anyway, there's a scene in that where a guy who has, I think, been in prison comes out and eats um, live octopuses, it's like a sushi thing. And it's that sort of um, incredibly visceral um, that that was shot live action that they referenced. And so there's a, I don't know who it was, but some um, terrific art department uh, guy at uh, MPC did a pencil sketch of Kong with the... Um, sort of octopus wrapped around his face. And that was <laughs> the thing that had the kind of that look, which I described as almost like the working man sitting down and having his lunch, kind of like a, you'd imagine like in the old days, yeah, like kind sure. of a pale sort of lunchbox. Yeah. Um, anyway, he had, had, if you look at the pencil drawing and I've got a copy that I'm going to stick up on FX Guide, it has that terrific look, which um, is just, you know, a guy day-to-day surviving, eating and doing what he has to do to kind of, you know, have lunch. But here's some really interesting stuff. So, because those are the three companies that were in the early stages. Then, of course, ILM does the primary effects work. And we'll come to the other two companies that contributed, which was um, Hybrid did a bunch of stuff and um, uh, Rodeo did some stuff. But mainly it's ILM that's going to be doing all the Kong stuff. Okay, so so this is kind of interesting. So you know that it's uh, Toby Kebble who's down on the waterfront that sees him during that sequence. So mm-hmm. Toby is the guy that's playing, I, I've forgotten the name, I think it's Jack... Isn't it Jack Chapman in the film? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So he's there and he, you know, does Kong see me or not? And no, he doesn't. And he witnesses the whole thing. And what's really interesting is that Toby was uh, working with ILM, of course, on Warcraft because he was the main, uh, you know, one of the main actors that did the motion capture for that. And so they got Toby to do a day of motion capture. So Toby is actually playing opposite Toby, if that makes sense. Oh, he's because a Kong. Kind of, well, yeah. Now, to be clear, it, he isn't. He's in a hundred percent Kong because. Uh, Terry Notary came in and did a day doing kind of body stuff, but it's Toby that gave them a day of doing facial expression stuff and expressions for eating octopus, which was now you guys would have to help me. With this is an American thing. Is there a thing called a, am I going to get this right? A Twizzler? Does that sound something? Yeah, like a, it's so, like a licorice kind of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I ate them during I, this not, movie. I don't know what these actually. things are. 
Yes. Okay, so Toby sat eating giant, I, I think of them as red vines. I assume yeah, same thing. it's the yeah, same yeah. thing. Okay, so Toby sat eating in these giant red vines for a day and that's what they motion captured, which went into the Kong, Kong squid sequence, which of course he's then playing opposite, um, uh, you know, on screen, which I think is kind of that's cool. Kind of cool. Yeah, um, but in that shot, nothing that I picked up, but maybe you guys did. The difference when Kong comes in and when he's seated and that whole sequence, he's, he changes in scale by a factor of two at various times in that sequence just to make it play right. But I thought it looked hmm. seamless, right? I mean, that was yeah, a big I didn't deal notice because, anything like that. Because they had to adjust the fur and the way the fur looked and the size of the, the groom and everything else. So, so that when he got close? When he's twice as large. Sorry? Is that he's getting bigger when he's closer to see all the fur No, no, better? interestingly, the exact opposite. He was bigger oh. when he was coming in because he looked kind oh. of not very big when he walked in right. because of the mountains. And so they made him twice the size. Mm. But when he comes to sit down, he's half his size. Right. And you're not meant to pick that up. And so they obviously adjusted the groom. But if you think about it, if you, you know, make a character twice as large, obviously you have to adjust all their hairs and their, the size of the hairs and how right. the groom yeah. sits and just a ton of stuff. So... Um, but yeah, so the, he has like no fixed size per se. I mean, he's theoretically a hundred foot character, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's they adjust actually, them to lens and yeah. composition. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, thought it was just sense. fascinating. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, I, I think, I think that sequence is like really primarily hand animated. I'm sure that they, you know, really poured over looking at how. Toby did the actions he did with the motion, but you know that's a different face, so it's not a it's not a one to one. Um, and I don't think it was as as tight as the work on apes in terms of that relationship between what mm -hmm. was done and what. But nevertheless, um, yeah, it's kind of cool having Toby playing against himself. Well, and I think too, like that's another thing too, is that the overall sort of animation performance that they crafted uh, for Kong, I think, was was also really really well done. There were. Uh, a lot of things they did um, in order to, uh, you know, help him express, you know, particular like facial animation for getting like certain kinds of em emotive um, kind of uh, to get him to emote in ways where he needed to sort of express uh, not just, you know, the, the Kong uh, fight rage, but also some slightly more subtle emotions here and there um, in some of the quieter moments, but also the, the, the full body animation, like in terms of, um, really working to get the scale to play right, I thought was really successful. Like he really did feel in, I think almost all the shots, like he did feel like he was, um, you know, ridiculously tall, like a hundred feet tall. Like he seemed gigantic in a way that uh, the Kong in the, uh, the, the uh, Peter Jackson King Kong, it didn't, he did, wasn't that size, right? He was a much smaller scale. Yeah. Yeah, he was theoretically the same scale as he was in the 1933 version, which is this sort of notional 100 feet. As I say, that's kind of like slightly mm. arbitrary. Um, okay, so he's got 19 million sort of hairs on him. Um, what did Jesus. you guys think about the groom? <laughs> no, what did you think about the groom vis-a-vis -vis the fire? Because he's, he's got one groom at the beginning and obviously mm -hmm. it transitions from the arm incident we already mentioned, but then he actually gets burnt. And then at the end when he's fighting the skull corolla, he's got this kind of very tight, you know, loose hair's been burnt off thing from the... Did you pick up on that? Did you? I mean, they were tracking it really closely. So his end colour I mean, was... I would say, I would say it, didn't, it didn't jump out, as me, out at me as being wrong, which means it's right. 
know what I mean? Like nothing stood out to me because I'm, you know, I thought the, to start at the beginning, like when he is sort of in that area and he like is checking his arm and he, and it looks all matted Mm -hmm. and bloody and he, it's black almost, you know, and wet and he touches it and he's like, ah, shit, you know, like, and then, uh, (laughs) and then then he, you know, later as, as he's getting, you know, hit and bit and hit and knocked down and burned and whatever, like it all made sense. Like, no, I, I don't think I ever questioned like, Oh, look at like, look at that weird, you know, area on him that it just never, it never looked wrong, which I guess is a, yeah, is a backwards I, way of I, I saying did. it looked right. I thought it looked really good. I mean, I thought like the level of, of, uh, sort of, well, I don't know what the right word would be like the, the, the decay, the, the, the clumping, the scarring, and then the, the sort of burnt kind of, uh, kind of scraggly burnt hair. I thought, um, looked really cool. Those were things that I actually was definitely looking at. I, um, just thinking about some of the troubles, uh, in getting the first fully, uh, full frame Kong to render in the 2005 version. And one of the other things I kept looking for too, which is just kind of funny is I remember there were all these like issues with getting Kong, uh, like if he was ever facing the other way, like the groom of the fur on his butt, like when he would be walking was always kind of this weird issue, like trying to figure out how that would move, like where, you know, two sort of separate grooms that are kind of going in like, um, you know, opposite directions in terms of the, um, the, the colic direction of the hair. Like, and so that was always kind of a, a weird problem. And there were all these kind of hilarious, like really bad takes, uh, early on, but I felt like that was a, a problem that they overcame in this movie as well. Like they were even able to get, I think that groom to work pretty well where it was just, it was indistinguishable from the rest of it. It was a non-issue. Um, but they also, uh, <laughs> shot in such a way that you very rarely saw Kong lit well walking away from you. <laughs> yeah, there's one. There's only one shot. Yeah, really. <laughs> and it's. I think it's. Yeah, it's, it's, it's he's silhouetted he's by away. the sun too, right? So he's. It's more like yeah. a silhouette, I think. Yeah, he walked away and he said, "It's all right. You can look at my butt." <laughs> <laughs> hey, can my I just say butt? that the groom that the groom that I thought was spectacular. I mean, really breathtakingly good. Um, wasn't even on Kong. The one that I just really loved to death in terms of the groom now, just the, the hair, the way that it was working, was when that water buffalo comes out of the kind of little oh, lake. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was just, wasn't that just spectacularly good? I mean. With the, with the, you know, you, the you, like weeping willow kind of uh, yeah. greenery. When he had, it. yeah, he had like yeah, moss and stuff on his yeah. back. And so, yeah, it actually yeah. reminded so Gail, me of a, of a fantasy uh, painting that I've seen of a, I think it was of a, like a humpback whale or maybe it's a turtle or something that like has like a, something like that. Like it's overscale and there's like a city, like a decaying city covered in moss on the back of the animal. And it felt like they were riffing off of that uh, old piece of concept art that I know I've seen from some other, uh, from some other IP. Yeah. So Gail is the, um, the hair sort of groom specialist that, I mean, you may have seen her. She was interviewed quite a lot on Warcraft because that's when they introduced Haircraft at ILM. But mm-hmm. um, she did, um, actually the two of them, that was Ryan Gillis, I think it was, and uh, Gail who did Kong, like they actually split him in half. Like somebody, I think Gail did the head and the shoulders and the legs and uh, and then Ryan did the chest and the arms because it was like so complicated to do. But anyway, she did the water buffalo coming out of the, out of the thing. But what was really interesting about that is that um, while she did all the hair on the water buffalo, which is primarily his face, all that stuff that I 
adored, and I think you were referring to um, a second ago with the stuff hanging off his um, kind of antlers, mm-hmm. um, whatever that was. That was all simmed. That none of that was um, sort of done as hair or as a as a groom. It was all um, simmed from the Houdini because they needed it all to interact with the water. So oh, wow. what you got what you got there is a whole lot of stuff hanging off the antlers, which is all a hundred percent simmed. Um, and yet her like her and Gail and her team did all the stuff on the face and all the rest of the stuff on his kind of body of his um, uh, sort of front section where you see it really um, playing with the wet water. So um, it was a, a really nice combination. I mean, they, they rendered most of the Kong stuff in Renderman, but for the Sim stuff, they were using Mantra. And actually, interestingly, on that guy, the, um, the thing that's really funny is that the environment team did his back because it all has sort of grass and stuff all over it. Right. And so, in fact, it's the environment team that did, um, that did all that and they're using Clarice. So you've, you've basically got an environment, even though it's on the character, uh, the sim team and the fur character team all sort of contributing to one creature that then comes up out of the water. But I, I felt that was without fault just, you know, oh, it was yeah. much more successful for me than the spider or the, um, or even the, the skull crawlers. Um, I totally. thought this one was just a winner. The, yeah, spider was, totally the spider was great, actually. Like, I love the way that all the sort of, you know, magical or, you know, beat the beasts and, and monsters on the island were, you know, Darwinistically, you know, workable in their environments. You know what I mean? Like, it's a yeah. big giant spider, but it's bamboo legs or looks like bamboo legs so that it can... So it can hide, or you know, whatever. Um, well, I have no, to I say, I, 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 I could not stand the uh, the the skull monster thing. I thought that was pretty the skull that, that design where it's just like it's like a tail and a head with with an external skull, and then just arms. Like <laughs> I wasn't buying that thing. The the monster I thought was kind of little bit much from a design standpoint that was that probably of all the things in the film would have been my least favorite actually before you get to him what did you think of the um i really liked the other sort of like minor character that was only on screen for a bit was this sort of a stick insect that he was sitting on toby at one point i think it was and then oh yeah 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 Yeah, that was was cool kind of looks at him like dude what are you doing and then like walks away yeah Yeah. completely non-threatened by either him or you know, the existence, as it were. Yeah, but he kind of um, gives him this look, uh, or at least it felt like it. Like he gets up, he moves, and then he kind of stops and turns and looks back at him a little bit. Yeah, and that was really like good. The, the stick, yeah, the tree absolutely. thing. And it's kind of like, yeah. mm-hmm, whatever, man. And then like, please, like, thanks <laughs> thanks for nothing, you know. Yeah. He, he was an isolated sequence, so he was done by hybrid. Uh, they also did the, a lot of the... Apocalypse enough stuff when we were talking about earlier, you know, like the taking off of the choppers and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But in terms of creature so, work, that was one that um, that they picked up. So can I also just say that I'm a huge fan of everyone adding uh, magic hour sunset shots to all these movies with CG. <laughs> I mean, I think there's like four yeah. of them in this movie and every one of them, especially the one where he stands up into the sun. Like oh, blocking yeah. is you're just like, oh my God. Like it's yeah, I'll take it. Every time it will never get old. 
every time. Come on, the, the the coolest the coolest thing with regards to that too had to be the guy who gets picked up by those flying creatures, and yeah. he's actually uh, he loses <laughs> yeah. an arm and a leg, and he's yeah, of, uh, pulled silhouette yeah. pulled apart against the backdrop of the sun. I yeah. mean, so <laughs> over the top, but like, uh, but that's also where like you know that even in terms of the way you're approaching and dealing with the effects, like there's such an aspect of camp and like playfulness you know, on the part of, you know, everybody involved in the making of yeah. the film that it really starts to like the audience is kind of invited in on the joke. I think with shots like that in a way that, uh, make it really fun for sure. But I thought the Kong, the Kong, the opening Kong stuff where they, you sort of are introduced to him in pieces through the viewpoint of the helicopters was great because you never see that. You always see Kong battling planes from afar right? And they look like mm-hmm. flies to him mm-hmm. and he bats them around and he grabs them and whatever. But to see it from inside and see what the pilots would see, especially when they're like freaking out and it's like spinning and you see part of him, mm-hmm. part of him and part of him. And then you pick him up and one dude falls in his mouth and another guy like, you know, uh, which you never really see Kong eat people, which was interesting that yeah. he's not really eating him, but he's kind of like roaring and then like, oh, oh, well, you fell in there. Sorry. You know, um, but I just loved the aspect of that introduction of the character that way. Well, I because that, there's no other way to introduce him really other than in a big wide kind of like, you know, either do do what they did, which I thought was super smart, or you do the big wide where he where he comes into the scene, which they do later, right? So he gets like a mm-hmm. double introduction kind of. And I, I thought that whole helicopter sequence, which obviously is sort of, you know, an homage to the uh the big, uh, you know, landing at the uh, the village in Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. I thought all that helicopter stuff was uh, almost all of it was just so like well done. There's some shots at the very beginning where the helicopters are taking off, and you mm-hmm. see uh, the I think Brie Larson right sitting in the along with Tom Hiddleston I think, and they're sitting in the um, the open door part of the the helicopter. And as it's taking off, like I'm thinking, like, well, that's you know, that's probably. It's probably not real, but that, that that looks pretty damn good. And then later looking at some stuff online, I saw some uh, behind the scenes images of that too. And like, sure enough, yeah, that's not real. That's all shot like on a stage and then comped into the environment. And yeah. I thought those comps were really great. And there's even a really great, highly stylized comp of one of the pilots when they start dropping the seismic charges and you see uh, the explosion of the mm-hmm. seismic charge in his sunglasses. Yeah, it was right? awesome. And I was like, oh man, that's that's really cool too. Like, so they really were again playing up all that stylized kind of aesthetic. But then, and then the battle that ensues, like you're describing, I think all the kind of crazy aerial stuff and Kong getting cut by the the blade of the helicopter when he tries to grab the tail of one and it mm-hmm. cuts his hand and he's sort of startled by that and he looks at his hand like, what the hell was that? And uh, that stuff was just so cool. And what a fun way to sort of get the action rolling too with like a big spectacular sequence like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally agree. So you guys have worked with clients a lot. What is the sort of most um, valid yet out there reference you've ever been given? Like I want X for this current project. And you're like, okay, I get what you're saying, but man, you couldn't have gone for a more bizarre reference that, that informs me, but is like, do you have any that like you've just made your jaw drop? Usually I'm the one making the references. <laughs> okay. Generally, like if I'm writing a treatment or something, or then I'm on set and I'm standing with a, a producer or a client, and I'll be like, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And they'll be like, no, but that's okay. 
And also when we design shots, I'll say to my DP, remember that scene in, you know, whatever, Marathon Man, when he's pulling the teeth? That's what I want here. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and it's not to copy, but to set the tone, as you're saying. Okay, so I'll give you one that is absolutely true. I'm not making it up. Stephen told me this, the visual effects supervisor. He's there in early pre-production. They're trying to work out the look for the skull crawlers that Matt says he doesn't like. Mm. The, uh, the reference from the director is, and if you don't know this, feel free to Google it and you'll see exactly why this works. Pokemon Cubone. C-U-B-O-N-E. Cubone. Uh, yeah, yep. It's a little that. guy, furry thing, looks like a wombat, um, wearing a skull on his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and if you Google it and look at the imagery from Pokemon, it is in re- remarkably uh, derivative um, kind of works reference. That, he must uh, have been playing the, uh, Pokemon Go on his phone. While Go. Was, uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's what the skull crawlers had as their kind of initial design brief. And I've got to say, like, that for me is just why I think Stevens is such a great visual effects supervisor, right? Because, like, if I'd got that, I'd have gone, well, I just can't work with that. And he's gone, okay, <laughs> sure, that makes sense. And then he's gone and worked with it. And Well, in the end, really yeah, you've got to fulfill what's being asked of you for sure. But, it, you know, I... I still stand by my uh, dis- distaste for the design, but <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> but that's, no, I'm, I'm it is you. cool, though. Yeah, I mean, it's cool but that it, that was the is, reference. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're not my they're not my least favorite monsters, but all I can say is they felt like they felt like a reaction to going the opposite way from every rancor, four cornered mouth, Cloverfield type, mm-hmm. multi armed monster that's been in every movie in the last. 10 years uh they feel at least it wasn't that so that you know and it didn't have like this that haltingly like kind of stuttered scream that kind of i feel like came out of the uh right came out of the pod racing uh yes car sounds from the prequels you know what i mean like so at least they went yeah at least they went like maybe too far in the other direction, stripping the character <laughs> things down. But uh, it, I didn't, it didn't I mean, it, bother me. It wasn't like, yeah, it they weren't the greatest, the movie yeah, anything, they weren't but. the greatest monsters, but they totally worked in like a primal kind of like uh primal, again, if you use the evolutionary thing, they're like salamanders almost, like skull salamanders, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they just didn't seem like much of a something. threat to him, you know, that was the mm, only Well, until I the big had. one. Right, the big one, yeah, the babies yeah. one. But here's the thing, right? You need something that you don't mind our hero killing. Right. Like, well, that's true. Often, often in movies, you'll notice that the hero seldom kills the bad guy. He just can't save the bad guy when he accidentally steps back and falls off the building. Right. Or you know, he like it's very rare that the bad guy is killed by the good guy in a direct. <laughs> I've put my hands, you know, up. I'm just going to shoot you because there you go. Yeah. Um. And so, for, if you're going to find someone and actually create crack their skull we have to not have very much empathy for the bad guy at this point yeah it wouldn't work um, if it was like a giant like really cute kitten kangaroo (laughs) yeah oh kong's a bastard yeah Yeah. so um can i can i I offset can i offset the and say that what i thought was really great is so they they did all the kong sunset shots and then at night at the end they gave you the looking up at Kong backlit by the moon, mm-hmm. moonlight shot, which was like, I saw that and my kid looked at me and he goes, oh my God, 
<laughs> it's just like, wow, like that was a stunning shot for me because, you know, he's black. He's in the forest. There's no light pollution. Uh, there's no ambient light other than moonlight and fire. And the lighting was beautiful. He's just nice, cool light, edge light on him. And his eye, you know, he was sort of front lit by fire and like, oh, man, it was that was that I, that was a great balance. Like somebody must have said at some point, like, OK, we nailed the sunset. Let's do the moon. You yeah, they had, to get, <laughs> they had to go. They had a lot of orange. They had to get the blue, man. You got to go yeah. blue and orange. Yeah, man. <laughs> so we were talking a bit about the environments before. I think we should also flag that. So that end sequence. um, where, you know, we've got the water. We talked about the water looking really good, but here's the thing. Some of those sequences are live action shot in places like Vietnam mm-hmm. where you've got actors there and the surroundings behind them are 100% real. And some of them, when there's no actors uh, in shot, are 100% CG. And, I, you know, I challenge anyone that didn't know to just go CG, real, CG, real, CG, real. Yeah. I mean, the, the two environments matched so well and, you know, you really can only go off kind of being, I mean, I certainly can only be go off being told that because I wouldn't have been able to tell you, oh, all of that's plate photography and all of that's 100% CG. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's effectively 100% CG when those two creatures are fighting. If there are no um, Tom or or whatever her name is running around in the foreground or in her case, I think she's standing on a rock waving or, or doing something, right? Um, yeah, a friend of mine was, uh, the, um, was on the second unit team in Hawaii shooting the plates, shooting a lot of action plates for, yep. for CG. And, and he was like, you know, they'd show us the previs and they'd say, this is what we want. And like, there's no eye line, there's no nothing. Just give me this. And he's like, and we, we did everything we could to nail whatever frames we were framing to match the frames they give us, they gave us, you know what I mean? And I, I will say the ILM team really used that stuff but and, and actually described it as invaluable. But nevertheless, even if they'd got the framing pretty much exactly what was wanted, because you had to replace the water, because you wanted yeah, to be course. able to move the camera and, and just because quite often you'd be playing with lighting and stuff, they just rebuilt everything, had an entire library of, um, you know, sort of, I'm going to call it Vietnamese but obviously Hawaiian um, mm-hmm. vegetation that... Uh, that they were dropping in there. And um, and it, I, I just think it was really, really well done. I mean, it's not like you can LIDAR. I mean, they were LIDARing to get the kind of basic sort of environments that they were in, but you can't LIDAR a bunch of moving trees very successfully. Yeah. Um, and anything, of course, in the foreground that Kong is going near has to be CG so it can either be shadowed yeah. by him, moved by him, or just re- react to the wind that generates as a giant foot passes through shot. Did everyone else love the uh, Kong's parents' graveyard? <laughs> I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Like you never see, you never see that. Well, just in general, like just as an execution, as an idea, as an environment, like you know. And John C. Riley, you know, is going like, "Oh, those are Kong's parents." You know, this is this is what drove him crazy. You know, like well, and I think setting one. up the big uh, the big stationary machine gun uh, on the skull, I thought, was oh a nice yeah, touch. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing with the yeah. tracers and yeah. stuff. The only part of that scene that bothered me was. They throw the gas, which looked beautiful, like Tom Hiddleston walking through the green gas. Like, it looked super cool. It looked kind of like Macbeth, that new Macbeth movie, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, it looked super cool. But then he's, it's like, it's like you know, halfway through the scene, he rips the mask off. And you're like, 
there's green all around you. You just said it's poison gas. Why do you have your mask off? I mean, like, I don't know. That bothered me for some reason. For the ladies, man. I mean, come on. I guess. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, (laughs) gotta sell the face, but uh, it's, uh, you've got to give it to the art department who built, I mean, that's not CG, right? That's like a a cracked build. Yeah. That was um, amazing. Yeah, huge amount of stuff that they actually had there for the guys to uh, to work with. What about what did um, you guys think of the uh, like when they first arrive at the island, the storm effect? See, I didn't like that that much. It just seemed so OTT to me. Having yeah. said that, um, it's one of those things like uh, occasionally there's something that if it's photographed really, really well, um, looks fake to me. So you know, was it because I'm not used to it or because it was fake? You know what I mean? Like I've seen National Geographic pictures of storm fronts where I've gone, oh my God. Yeah, well, that's and this was like a definitely like a supernatural storm. There yeah. was one or two shots I thought um, where they show all the helicopters approaching the storm, like leaving the ship. Like, and mm-hmm. a, a couple of those, just from a compositional standpoint, I thought they were really cool. You could see them as, you know, they were probably, uh, you know, production paintings too, right? And the, yeah. the uh, effects team is sort of matching that look and the the lighting and the aesthetic. And I thought some of those are, I, those are sometimes really hard shots to do. And I thought uh, a couple of those establishing shots before they enter the storm, I thought were pretty well uh, executed. It had a Mad Max you know, Fury Road storm vibe. That's what yeah, I was about to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. And I didn't like it in Mad Max Fury Road either. See, I liked it in Mad Max because you were in the desert. In this one, no, you're in the, no. like it worked for me in Mad Max. Here, it it was maybe a little too stormy. And now I don't know if mm-hmm. to sell their shrouded island, you needed this stormy vibe to create electromagnetic fields from lightning and all that kind of stuff to sell. The, I don't right. know if they even thought about it that much. Uh, I'm sure they did. I, I Maybe I'm overthinking it as a viewer, but... Um, you know, if you're going to give me the information, I'm going to put the pieces together, you know? Uh, so maybe, I don't know. I think maybe it was just oversold a tad, Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. but, uh, it didn't bother me. I liked the shelfiness of it, but as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, that's a Fury Road vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like it in Fury Road. Um, especially I didn't like it when the cars were kind of lifting up particularly. I mean, I didn't hate it, but I didn't, I didn't really like it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, I guess, cause it just felt so, um, like we'd gone through the mirror, not, uh, through yeah. the looking glass. It just didn't feel like, well, that storm front is surrounding this Island. It felt like that storm front let me move through a dimension because once we're inside, it felt like such a different place. For example, if there's this huge storm front, how do you have a low to the horizon sun that you can see? Exactly because you would see the storm front, wouldn't you? I mean, if you're inside a circular donut torus of storm, you don't get yeah. sun hitting. So it just so Well, like, if you're huh? going to see, if you go there though, then you got to go, there's a great uh, like kind of funny website where they talk about the physics of Kong and like could a, a, a character uh, who was that tall and built like that actually physically move on the earth? No. Well, no, the, no. it couldn't. Yeah, gravity it couldn't. would <laughs> gravity would stop its heart from being able to pump blood that far. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, a there's lot, a whole of lot of giraffe. Stuff. Yeah. There's some, there's some funny sites where they kind of, they go way down these rat holes into like exploring some of the, the kind of impossibilities of some of the elements of, uh, you know, some of these types of movies for sure. And pretty amusing. 
So what do we think about the prologue? The bit after the end titles, which I assume we all I, stayed on. I wanna for. I wanna I wanna bring something to and I don't know if there's a way around this. I want to bring this to the attention of whoever did the credits. Because I'm sitting there watching the credits and about thirty seconds right at the end of the credits before the the post credits bit. Yeah. There's a copyright line that says, and I was I was just sitting there because I knew I was waiting, so I was looking, and I had a couple of friends who worked on the movie, so I'm looking for their names, and I'm asking, telling my kid, look for this name, look for this name, and it's going by, and it says, Mothra, King Ghidra, uh, and Hydra, you know, so whoever, I forget all the people, but uh, Godzilla, you know, it lists all of them, all property of blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm going to see all of them. Yeah. You know I mean, like they gave it away in the, in the, in the legal, you know, uh, yeah, my, my, shit my son, credits. my son, who is a huge, like he's seen all the old Godzilla movies yeah, like, and he too. loved the Gareth Edwards one. Like, I mean, he's a giant Godzilla fan and, uh, he, uh, he saw those right away and he's like, dad, 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 like, check it out, check it out. So he, I mean, he, it gave it away to my kid, you know, who's 13. Like he yeah. had the exact same reaction. He was just like. Oh, oh, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You know, like he was really amped when he saw that. So it didn't take away from it for him, you know, but I mean, yeah, no, it didn't take it away. You're right. Like, like, oh man, like (laughs) they gave away the surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's any way around it. Uh, Legally, they have to put that stuff in there. So it's, unless you put the end credit scene earlier in the credits. I don't know why you have to wait till the very end of the credits. I know. My, I was telling my okay. father-in-law to stay, and he's like, dude, these credits are like, how long are these credits, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, I think I think my, my my most favorite end credit sequence was, I think it was Men in Black 2, but it might have been 3, where there was an 88-minute movie, and 8 minutes was the end credits. So for a movie that you paid at the box office, 10% of it was the end credits. <laughs> um, anyway, what do we think about the, um, the uh, idea of kings coming up from the, you know, whatever, leading to the <clears throat> apparently 2020 um, $200 million Kong versus Godzilla movie. Oh, I mean, it's great. I mean, the original King yeah. Kong versus Godzilla is, you know, a, an, an awful classic, you know, like it's so corny, yeah. but it's, it's hilarious. Like, and it was billed at the time. I remember as a kid when it was going to come out, I remember as a kid thinking like, well, I was probably you know, I don't know, five or six years old. And I just remember being so excited that, you know, Godzilla and King Kong are going to fight each other. And and the movie, the original movie is so, I mean, it is so bad, but it's really fun to watch like in its kind of corny nature. But if they're going to do something and give a, a, a big budget film, the treatment um, that they gave uh, Kong in this movie, I mean, I think that's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. It's going to be, that's, that's going to be a hard one not to go see, you know? Oh yeah. (laughs) But does that mean, I mean, I love that. I loved the way that they teased, you know, with the drawings of all the, you know, all the other on the wall, Mm -hmm. Mothra, King Ghidra, um, uh, uh, Rodan was, no, it was Rodan wasn't in there. Was he? Um, yeah. Rodan was in there too. Rodan was in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the things that makes me think about it with regards to these types of movies is, isn't there some, there's some movie that's either coming out right now uh, this week or maybe just came out and it's like uh, another kind of like one of the disaster porn movies that we, you know, talk about when we talk about like, um, you know, 
the earthquake film uh, in LA. Oh or, yeah. Or so uh, Baywatch. Are we talking about then? No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I. <laughs> Yeah, those those could fall into that definition too, I suppose. But no, I think it's some weather, you know, like a weather movie. I can't remember what the name of it is, but okay. um, but one of those types of films, right? Like, yeah. um, and uh, one of the things I like about this movie and the potential of a of a King Kong versus Godzilla and some of those other uh, Toho property monsters is it's it's kind of the same style of filmmaking right it's another kind of disaster porn in a way but it's it's told through the eyes of these uh you know people who are experiencing it at the at the whim of these giant creatures who think nothing of us right so it's it's slightly different like it has the ability to be a big effects movie with tons of great and fun visual effects that are, that, you know, people, let's face it, people love to watch, you know, um, but telling it through the context of, you know, like a, a fight film with giants, you know, I mean, I yeah. just think it's, it's, it's gotta be fun. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that uh, we haven't seen enough movies told in this way um, using some of those old tropes of monster movies of guys in suits, but using like the state of the art uh, technological okay, advances that have can I just been made make a point in visual effects? Yeah, yeah. But can I just make a point? Don't we have a huge plot problem here in that we already know the outcome? Well, that they They're, that they reach a truce and they bro down. Well, no, but I mean theoretically, right? Gorillas last what. 35, 40 years, that's how old they get, right? This film is set in the 70s. For Godzilla to be around in the present day, which he is in the first Godzilla film from, you know, a couple of years ago, that means he must have battled King Kong several decades ago and clearly won. <laughs> yeah, I suppose uh, that's true. <laughs> they, I was going to say that as this is sort of a prequel. Uh, King Kong's, you know, Skull Island's kind of a prequel. But also, you're, it's also interesting when you set up a movie with two, even though they're they're sort of neutrally good, when you have like two neutrally good guys fighting and they're like, wait, what are we fighting for? We're, you know, like, I'm a Why, you're a why do I want to just reference Superman versus Batman as that this doesn't necessarily make for a no, good film? No, please <laughs> don't reference that movie at all. Thank you. Uh, but well, and Kong, have you seen, would be, have you seen Kong would be live, uh, Benjamin Affleck and uh, Kong. Have you seen Affleck. Live by Night? Have you seen Live by Night? Ben Affleck's film, Live by Night. Uh, no, Live by Night, the gangster no. one. So I heard yeah, it's, it's quite fun, right? So, it's, Is it? I've never, no, no, I haven't it's, seen it's it. It's quite fun. It's just you know a normal kind of. <laughs> no, no. Honestly, you wouldn't. You know, if you're at home and it's like Thursday night and you want to watch something, you know, and put your feet up, it's fine, right? I thought, the thing I thought is, he's clearly made it. <laughs> But he's clearly made it within, you know, weeks of Batman, right? So he's mm-hmm. so bolt up. Right. <laughs> like he walks in a, in, a, in a shot and you're like, good God, man. <laughs> like what have you got under that jacket? Like his shoulders are about eight foot wide, yeah. which I mean, yeah. you know, makes sense in a, in a I'm Batman sense, but doesn't make a lot of sense in, hi, I'm, I'm uh, here, just a normal Joe who's going to take over um, running rum out of Cuba. <laughs> or right, um, much less people really being built that much at that era anyway. Yeah, it's like he's carrying a railroad tie on his shoulders yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't know if you heard this at um, uh, one, one of the chat shows when um, they were talking about Logan. Um, you know, we've obviously discussed that film and it's great. And cle- clearly, okay. I'm, clearly I'm biased because Hugh Jackman's an Australian. But anyway, Hugh was talking about how he um, looks for a shirt off sequence. 
I thought this was really funny because he was like, I have to drink, it obviously works out, I'm not taking anything away from that, huge amount of actual physical work, but he drinks an enormous amount in the weeks leading up to a shirt off sequence. And I mean like litres and litres and litres a day. And then right at the last second, like the day before, he just completely stops drinking. And so he has a massive loss of uh, body weight due to water and he therefore looks really ripped, right? Well, okay, mm. I've heard that before. What I hadn't heard is that he then suffers on that day of filming enormous dehydration headaches. So any scene in Logan when he's taking his shirt off and looking pissed, he's just actually hurting because right. he's got a splitting <laughs> headache. And, wow. um, and I just Dedication. You know, I thought like... Exactly. But also like for 17 years, he's had to do this, right? It's like right. get <laughs> really ripped and then have a killer headache. It was almost like, wow, wow you poor chap. So um, um, yes, not we, only do normal people not look like that, but anyway, yes. We still haven't talked about one shot that I, that I think it was in the last trailer that I love in the yeah, movie, nice. which is when he's, when Kong is fighting the, the big skull crawler outside yeah. and he during the day and he grabs the tree and like strips all the branches off it and uses oh, it as yeah. a bat. I mean, that is, it makes total sense. It's pure logic and it looks awesome. Cause he just sort of like, he, like it's, and, and kudos to the animation and the setup because it clearly, it comes across as if he's done this before. He's not figuring this out on the spot, right? He looks at mm -hmm. a tree, he grabs it and he just, he holds it for a second and then he just goes almost without looking, just goes and strips the branches off of it and then gets in like a Babe Ruth pose, you know? And it's just, it's a stellar little bit of animation there that just, it, I, I love it. Yeah, it'd be fun to see uh, it is good. some of the, um, I the execution. You, I thought you were no, no, I think it's good. And I love that low shot that happens as part of that sequence where all you just see is the sort of calf muscles and the and the yeah. club, as it were, coming yeah. down to the water as in like he goes. Um, I thought you were going to say we haven't discussed the fact that he holds on to, um, uh, to what's her name, uh, Lars. Yeah, name? Brie Larson. Um, Brie Larson. Yeah. Brie Larson, thank you. Holds on to her, forms a fist and then shoves her down the creature's yeah. throat, um, <laughs> which... I don't know. Like, what do we think about that? I mean, I think it is, um, it was the point at which I actually went, <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I couldn't imagine anyone coming out of that alive without having at least every bone in their body broken. Um, but what do you guys yeah. think? Well, I think anytime you do something like that with a, with something, you know, a character that's that big and it's, that's an anthropomorphized ape. And then you've got this, uh, you've got a, you know, a, a, a probably, a, you know, average size five, 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 six, uh, human and you're, you're moving, uh, he, she, he's holding her in his arm. She picks him, he picks her up when she's underwater. And yeah, I mean, it, those are always tough. I think the, the, the hand, uh, of the CG character and whether it's a digital double or if it's like, you know, a robot hand and a, oh, and a live action actress. I mean, like those are just tough, man. Those are really tough shots. Cause you're taking, you know, something that's clearly recognizable to anyone uh, and you're putting it in this fantastical setting and yeah, the physics of it are crazy, but also the integration of those two things is just, it's really, really hard to get that kind of scale stuff to work well, I think, and look, and just not look corny or kind of goofy. Although the, oh, the you're precursor not the only one shot to that so. when she's floating in the water and the hand comes in and grabs her, yeah. on, with the hand yeah. underwater grabbing her, I thought, mm -hmm. I mean, not that I didn't, not that I'm 
saying the other stuff didn't look good because I thought that her laying in his hand, I had no issue with that. But the the more stylized version of that, the backlit hand, the greenish water, him reaching in, scooping her out, uh, I thought all that looked beautiful. I thought it looked great as well. We haven't discussed Jeff White. Jeff White headed up the team at ILM and Jeff is like super talented and just a heck of a nice guy. But um, Jeff also said that that was really hard to do. The, he's like, you know, it's like, uh, I, I think I actually have him on, on record as saying that Kong and the Skullcrawler fighting in full CG water in full environments was a whole lot easier than having um, her just sitting in the palm of... Uh, of Kong's hand because it's, yeah. um, hang on, I'm looking it up here. He says, it, honestly, it's absurdly hard to get those shots to work. It's incredible. It's like the thing that you look at and you think it's not going to be that tough. Getting shots of Kong and Skullcrawler especially around fighting each other were far easier than getting her stuck in his hand or her to stick in his hand. Yeah. Because you can't, um, you just can't hide there too. Like it's, it's so unforgiving, I think. And, and also um, like quite honestly, when they've done it with like animatronic or robotic, things they look completely hokey yeah um, so you either have this sort of like risk of her looking like she's floating on a magic carpet of i don't know what or just this big mechanical um clunky thing that kind of uh, 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 um, around uh with her sort of standing in i mean it's the hero shot of any kong movie right the heroine just yeah. um you know in the uh, hands yeah, of kong yeah. but nevertheless yeah the I mean, one other thing I- on a I was, I was her just hand on his face. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say when when he walks up Earlier to her, the film, and she's on the hand. cliff. Yeah. And she touches his fur and his face. Mm-hmm. Everything. I mean, I'm assuming there was some practical fur there, or was that all completely CG? Um, I don't know. Do but from know? what I understand, there was from what I understand, there was no prac that you saw on screen. If there was something for her to touch. That didn't make it through to the final right. frame. Well, that was um, that was also really beautifully well done. Like you really connected with, you understood the two of them were connecting. It didn't feel like two separate things that were just put together in editing. You know what I mean? I'm like going to guess too that no. I'm going to guess that that was that was CG fur too, just because there's yeah. a shot just like it in the 2005 version where Naomi Watts reaches out and touches the fur. And I, I know for a fact that shot, uh, there was no practical fur on right. set. And that was many, many moons ago now. And I would assume that, uh, you know, with what they were yeah. able to achieve with the rest it was of the beautiful. Look, like to get to get uh, some of that hair to, to deform or to actually physically move, um, and to you know uh, be able to do it in passes so that you could have some integration between the fingers and stuff of her hand, I don't think would be too tough to do. Well, gentlemen, we are out of time. Thank you so much for taking time to discuss uh, the film. I, I generally think that for any criticisms I have, that I had a really good time seeing it. I'd recommend it to people to see. I mean, it, it doesn't get in the pantheon of you know Apocalypse Now as as kind of great cinema, but it certainly was value for money is, you know, you got exactly what you expected from the trailers and then some, I think it was a, a good kind of twist on things. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm jury out on Godzilla versus, um, I'm notoriously bad at predicting whether these things are good. I'm the guy that thought that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy wouldn't work. So, you know, what do I know? <laughs> but I <laughs> but I did enjoy this. Hey, um, Matt, where can people find you if you want to uh, uh, touch base? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm uh, at Virginia Commonwealth University uh, in Richmond, Virginia in the School of the Arts. 
uh, with our buddy Ty Ellingson. He's also uh, over there with me. And uh, all my uh, info can be found online at my website, which is just mattwallen.com. And I should point out that Matt's been doing uh, a lot of editing for the show uh, and we really appreciate that, Matt. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> Sometimes um, better than others. Let's face facts. <laughs> but I'm, I'm learning. Not, I'm learning. No, no, it's good. Jason, what about you? Um, oh, so many places. Uh, thediamondbros.com, superspherevr.com, um, the Twitters, Jason Diamond. Facebook, if you want to see how much I rail against the government and conspiracy theory, you know, they kind of run the gamut. Excellent. And of course, you can find me, uh, Mike Seymour, on Twitter or, of course, over at uh, FXI, where we've got a story where we speak to the ILM team and um, and also the Vigil Effect Supervisor, Stephen, who was very kind in, uh, in getting us a bunch of stuff. I'm going to leave you with a quote from the film this week, which I think I, I don't want to sort of uh, actually think it's such a great quote in the first place that I don't think it needs any other work. Uh, uh, so thanks for listening and let me just leave you with uh, this thought which was Kong's a pretty good king keeps to himself but you don't go into someone's house and start dropping bombs unless you're ready to pick a fight I'm Mike Simmel see you next week if you have any questions or comments please email us at vfx at fxguide.com copyright fxguide llc